I've been getting in my steps, lifting weights, and now I'm trying really hard to get as much protein as I can. That's why I'm excited about trying Clean Simple Eats because they're just that, clean and simple. Their protein powder is always grass-fed with no seed oils or artificial ingredients. It's third-party tested and non-GMO and gluten-free. They've got 26 delicious all-natural flavors. You really can't go wrong with any of them. They've got Simply Vanilla and other unique flavors like cookies and cream, caramel toffee, and even cinnamon roll. I have a feeling my entire family may just like Clean Simple Eats protein powder, and they're probably going to use it every day because it's so easy to put into your milk or a recipe my daughter loves to bake or in a smoothie, which my son loves to drink almost every day. You can It's amazing really in any form. Visit cleansimpleeats.com and use the code ASKLISA20 at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's cleansimpleeats.com with the code ASKLISA20 for 20% off your first order. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Ask Lisa, a podcast to help people understand the psychology of parenting, now in the midst of a pandemic. Psychologist Dr. Lisa Damore, author of two New York Times best-selling parenting books, takes your questions. And I'm co-host Rena Ninen, a journalist and mom of two. Some of what we talk about comes from raising children ourselves. Most of the time, I'll be getting answers to your parenting questions. So send your questions to AskLisa at drlisademore.com. Episode 46, how do you help a kid who shuts you out? So I love ice cream in the summer, but I found after Labor Day, I'm still eating ice cream because it's the one way to get my kids to talk. I take them out for ice cream and the whole world opens up. So that's awesome. First of all, I love ice cream. How, like, when you say the world opens up, like, is it the car ride there? Is it while they're eating the ice cream? Is it all of the above? Do you walk there? I don't know. I don't know. And I think it's it's a problem sometimes when school starts and you want to get more information. So I found that was a good way to do it. We got a letter, Lisa, from a mom who asked a similar question about her son. And she says, Dear Lisa, What do you do when your 11-year-old doesn't want any input or questions and you know they're struggling? My 11-year-old shuts me out when he's struggling with something, even if it's just asking a simple question like, how are you doing with this? Do you keep asking questions or give them space? Do you come back to it? Please help. What should she do, Lisa? Well, it's interesting, Rena, because you, so you figured out ice cream works to get your kids talking. Yeah. And, you know, so often... And on the podcast, too, what we're talking about is when kids are kind of melting down, when they're overflowing with feeling. You know, I'm thinking about a couple weeks ago when you were telling us about your daughter, you know, when you guys were in Florida and her coming and just being upset and and telling you about it. And I think there are a lot of parents who are like, I wish my kid were melting down. I wish my kid were coming and telling me what's making them upset. 
I can tell that they're upset and they are all clammed up. And um, it's one of those things that probably doesn't get the airtime it deserves when we're thinking about how to support parents. I think we're so often helping address feelings when they seem to be spilling all over the place and not talking enough about how we get kids to get the feelings flowing. So I have to tell you, I loved your article in the New York Times that it's called How to Support Teenagers as They Head Back to School. And you talk about emotional expression and containment. Tell me a little bit more about this. I loved this article. Well, this article is is right down the middle of what this mom is struggling with. And, you know, I was thinking about, like, what's the piece I can write that will be helpful as kids go back to school and they have a ton of different kinds of feelings, right? I mean, there's just so much right now that kids might be feeling. And what I thought would be useful to bring across in the piece, and we'll talk it through here, is that when psychologists think about emotions, and especially when we think about negative emotions, we don't ever think about like how to get rid of them. Like that's not really what we think is actually possible or necessary. What we're always interested in, but we've done a terrible job of sharing with everybody else, is what we call emotional regulation. And regulation is basically a two-part process, which is that sometimes you regulate emotions by expressing them, right? Talking about what you're feeling. And sometimes you regulate emotions by containing them, you know, kind of shutting them down a little while, which sounds like a bad thing, but can really be a good thing. Like if you're, you know, really, really worried about something and you're, you know, getting stuck in your thinking and you're not feeling better, the more you think about it, taking a break, distracting yourself is probably a good idea. What I get to in the piece and what comes up in this question is the issue of extremes or when kids need help. So sometimes kids need help containing emotion. So we might say, you know what? Why don't you just leave this alone for a little while? Come back. We'll talk about it later. And then there are kids like this one in the letter who need help expressing emotion, bringing their emotions across to get some relief. And we really do feel that way. You know, we talk and, you know, we have all these terms like getting things off your chest, airing it out, you know, like, Mm. you know, dumping your feelings. There is something in those terms that gets at a real thing about how It's not good for us to carry around distress. It's not good to keep it all stuffed down, that there's true benefit in getting stuff that's on the inside and putting it on the outside because usually it just feels better when you're not harboring it so much. But it's not easy. (laughs) And ice cream doesn't work in every family. It's not easy. And especially if teens are known for sort of clamming up and not wanting to talk to you, what do you find works to get them to open up? I'm guessing it's not ice cream. If it's not ice cream, you got to have something else. So let's think about the something else's. Okay, so the giant heading on all of this is don't put them in the hot seat, right? I think that this, you know, this mom writes, you know, she says to this kiddo, you know, like, how's it going? What's going on? Doesn't get an answer. And she's like, should I keep asking? I would say no, right? You're already getting a pretty clear signal from the kid that, like, they feel in the hot seat with that. And, you know, a kid who doesn't want to talk about feelings, putting them in the hot seat, saying to them, like, tell me what's going on. I'm really curious. doesn't work as much as we wish it would work. There are ways to do this that are kind of common to family life. You know, I, I was curious when you said you guys, you know, when you go ice cream, you know, go for ice cream. Often it's those times when you are walking or driving or not looking at each other or it's a short drive so they know it can't get that intense of a conversation that you can get kids going. But the thing I've been thinking about a lot, and this didn't come up in the article. You know, sometimes I write a piece and then I just keep thinking about Uh it and I have more thoughts. I love that. 
I do too. I do too. And it's fun because then we get to think about it, you know, together. Um, we have to appreciate that there's a wide range of ability to name feelings. Hmm. That there are some kids who are really, really comfortable with that. They're really fluent in that. You know, they can sort of detect the internal weather system that is our feelings, and then they can distinguish this weather pattern from that weather pattern, and they can say, this is anxiety and this is anticipation, and they can come to us and say, I feel this. I feel nervous. I feel worried. I feel excited. But they have that comfortable fluency in taking those kind of nebulous experiences that are feelings and converting them into a concrete word. Some kids are really great at that, and some kids are still getting used to that. And so I think we forget sometimes that when we're asking that question, we may be asking something, and it's not that the kid is holding back or holding out on us. It's that they are not yet sure what to say about what's happening inside of them. You also talk in the article about preventing what you call emotional floods, and you say serve as a sandbag. What do you mean? Well, so those are the moments where the kid does know what to say, and they're saying a ton, right? Uh And and that's just like a meltdown moment where they're, you know, really upset, and they may be crying, and they may kind of be overwhelmed or overwrought. For me, those moments are where we want to be really patient and really calm And bluntly, Rena, like not freak out, Mm -hmm. right? Because I think so often what happens is a kid is pretty overwrought and that's very scary as a parent. And so then we kind of panic. Mm. And in our panic, we offer suggestions or we try to get it to shut down or we communicate that we're frightened by their intense emotionality. And it's all understandable and it's all well-meaning and it usually doesn't help. So I think calm, patient works for meltdowns. And then calm, patient also works for the kid who struggles with expression. And you're saying, you know, what's going on? Are you okay? What's happening? And you're getting nothing. I was thinking, Rena, and I was thinking about, you know, the kids who can't always have the words or don't always have the words. I was talking with a teenage boy about what it felt like inside. And this is a kid who is beautifully expressive, a musician. This kid is an incredibly talented musician. And he said, oh, my feelings, they feel like static. Hmm. And I thought, wow, like what an extraordinary way to say like, oh, yeah, there's something happening, but it's not a signal I can detect. It's noise. Like it's noise. I can't tell you the signal. And the parent's asking for the signal. So we need to be mindful of that, that kids don't always, they have the noise, they may not have the signal. The other thing about the hot seat is it gets to questions of processing speed which is not Mm -hmm. something we talk about that Mm -hmm. much. But one thing we know in cognitive psychology, the study of sort of mental processes, is that people think at different speeds. And it's fairly divorced from questions of intelligence, which is to say you can be a very smart person, a very deep thinker who thinks in a very methodical and slow way. Mm -hmm. And so... You can have a comparatively slow processing speed. It doesn't mean you're not smart. When we do roll up the overall IQ score, processing speed factors into that because we do make a distinction between people who know a lot and are fast and people who know a lot and take more time. But when we say to a kid, what's going on? How do you feel? We have two assumptions built into that question. One, that the kid is good at naming 
what's happening inside, and two, that they can do it quickly. Mm. And those are not assumptions that hold for a lot of kids. Do you find, though, does intelligence correlate at all with how you process? I know you said it doesn't necessarily, but is there anything you can detect? Like if you have a super smart kid, does it mean that they're just could likely be or have a greater chance of not being able to process as quickly your emotions? You know, it's probably all pretty independent. Mm -hmm. You know, you can have a kid who's a smart, really, you know, like, you know, and smart's a complicated word, but like, you know, has a strong intellectual endowment that, you know, at least for what we measure at school, who thinks slowly, which may be pretty separate from their ability to name emotions, because that's quite, actually, it's quite an achievement to be able to name a feeling. Mm -hmm. These can all operate separately. But once we start to tease them apart, right, your kid may be bright, your kid may, you know, process it, you know, a slower or faster rate, your kid may or may not be able to name emotions very quickly, or, you know, accurately yet. What the take home here is, give them time. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite things to do for kids who aren't all that fluent, for any reason, is to do things like, um, say, I was thinking about this. Let's talk about it later. You know, I was wondering what schools felt like so far. Let's talk about it later. So that they have a long interval oh. to get ready for the conversation. I never want to do that. You know, I want to talk about it now. I don't have eight hours <laughs> from now. I'm like, okay, you know what? My schedule just opened up. Let's talk about it now. How do you feel? I attack. That's, that's because you have a fast processing speed and you are ready to have that conversation. <gasps> oh. But the other thing, you know, you could do or a parent could do with a kid who has a cell phone is you drop them a text. This is my oh. new favorite thing. So you send them a text and you say, like, I know you've seemed a little bit like, you know, not yourself lately. Like, how's it going? Or is there anything I should know? Ooh, that's good. It is good because think about all of the problems it solves. First of all, it slows it way down. Mm. So a kid who needs more time has more time. They can get back to you. It's an asynchronous communication, as we would say these days. Second of all, if they aren't sure what the feeling's called, it also gives them more time to start to figure out how to name what they're feeling. And then in texting you back, it does, in a good way, force them into using language. And we want, that's what we want, right? The goal is the kids tell us what they're feeling. And in that text conversation, that can happen. So this is incredible. This is like, for me, a mind-blowing moment because <laughs> um, I've always thought of texting as bad, like sexting. And now you've come up with this whole genre of texting that could be so transformative for parents. There's got to be a name for this, like parent texting, or I don't know what the name would oh, be. Oh, i got to think of it. You know what you remind me of? This is a complete digression. Um, there was a point a few years ago where middle schoolers referred to pencil texting, which is what they meant when they wrote notes back and forth to each other. It <laughs> <laughs> was like so, so funny. You know, like they call, you know, we call that pencil texting. I'm like, passing notes? Like, that's what we called it. We need our listeners to come up with a term for this because this is so good because it allows you to give them time to process it instead of jumping down their back. Exactly, exactly. So I think that's a trick that can be helpful. The other thing I would recommend is to ask, the term we use in psychology is displacement. So you're not talking directly about the kid. Again, this is under the headline of keeping them out of the hot seat. Mm -hmm. So you could also say to a kid, what are you hearing from other kids about how school feels right now? 
Or what are kids saying about what they're worrying about right now? Or what's what's on everybody's minds these days? And so you're asking it kind of obliquely, you know, sort of to the side. And so then you're getting a conversation going about feelings, but you're not saying to them, kiddo, what's going on? How do you feel? Mm. And and that can be a good way to um, to help them bring words across about how they're feeling inside. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back on the Ask Lisa podcast. I'm all for healthy habits, but I don't trust quick fixes. This is why I love Daily Harvest. They take all of the work out of eating well, and all I have to do is enjoy. Daily Harvest makes it so easy for me to eat in the nutritious and delicious ways that I like. They take the planning, the prep, the cleanup out of cooking, and they deliver meals that are packed with vegetables and fruits straight to my door. The other thing I love about them is that it's not the same old boring meals. I love their dragon fruit and lime smoothie. I also love their butternut squash and rosemary soup. They also have this wonderful herb squash and asparagus risotto. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com slash asklisa to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com slash asklisa for $30 off your first box and free shipping. dailyharvest.com slash asklisa. So I'm really starting to feel it in my mid-40s, just how much stress, hormone fluctuation, and the lack of sleep can really affect the way your skin looks, from dry skin to dark spots and acne. This is why I love One Skin. They can really help. They've got a simple skincare routine that tackles skin issues at the cellular level. I love that this is an all-women team of scientists. One Skin's developed a proprietary peptide called OS1 that's scientifically validated to actually improve the health of your skin beneath the surface. No irritation, no complicated multi-step routine. It's so simple. I really have felt the difference in how my face looks after using this product. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company by focusing on the cellular aspect of aging. One Skin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. So get started today. Try it out with 15% off using the code AskLisa at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with the code AskLisa. And after your purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them the Ask Lisa podcast sent you. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but instead of being a dryer sheet, they're in fact an ultra-concentrated liquidless laundry detergent. It's really the best of all worlds. Earth Breeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and to your skin. Personally, I get a huge kick out of using Earth Breeze. I love the fact that it takes up less space, is better for the environment, and yet it leaves my clothes smelling so good and it gets them so clean. Here's the bottom line. Making a positive impact in the world doesn't have to come at a cost to you. My clothes are clean, they smell great, and I feel like I actually did something good, not just for my laundry, but also for the earth. Right now, my listeners can receive 40% off EarthBreeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. That's earthbreeze.com slash asklisa to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. Welcome back to the Ask Lisa podcast. So Lisa, you know, my elementary age kids loved, loved, loved the Disney Pixar movie Inside Out about feelings. There was just something mm-hmm. that really resonated with them. And hearing you talk about 
how to get them to understand sort of emotions. What conversation should you be having with kids of all ages to get them to understand the importance of talking it out without seeming nagging or annoying? Like what's important for them to really grasp and understand? Oh man, this is awesome. Um, Well, starting with that movie, Inside Out, what a gift that movie was. Because it helps parents do what we want our kids to be able to do, or helps the parents support what we want our kids to be able to do, which is having names for feelings. And that seems so basic and obvious. That's a huge big deal to be able to say, I feel sad. I feel angry. I feel, what were the other characters in there? Um, I've forgotten. Disgust, I think, was one or something. Yeah. You know, and... And that, um, that labeling of emotions is what we want our kids to be able to do. So honestly, Rena, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking, man, if you're having a kid who's really clammed up, like, see if they want to go watch Inside Out. Ah. You know what I mean? Like, just in that kind of displaced way of, you know, there's a whole bunch of feelings right. and action. Right. But the thing I would say, if we want to cultivate the skill set without putting kids on the spot, what we can do is use in front of them a very well-developed feelings vocabulary that we are like a thesaurus for emotional terms. You know, so when a kid says anxiety, they probably mean apprehension, uncertainty, worry, nervous, excitement. I mean, they can mean a whole lot of things. And they have their beginner vocabulary for emotion and we have an advanced vocabulary for emotion. Mm. And you know how you know your kids seem to manage to learn every swear word you say totally. in front of them? Yeah. Um, so take that skill set and use it for feelings, mm. right? So it's not like you're teaching your kids swear words. They hear them and they learn them. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's but the that's same interesting. Thing. Like they model. But to that point, Lisa, what if you're an adult and you have trouble managing your own emotions? Like we're all living together all the time, right? It's it's intense living environments right now. What if you're a parent who's struggling to regulate your own emotions? What do you do? Well, that's that's a teaching teachable moment, yeah. as we say. So the parent loses their you know yeah. loses their cool and acts out in ways they didn't mean to or says stuff they didn't mean to. Then you go back and you do two things at once. First of all, you apologize. You know, you say, okay, that was. I was super upset and I went about that in a way that was probably upsetting to you and I owe you an apology. And then you do a vocabulary lesson. You say, you know, I realize what happened is I became very, very frustrated because I was feeling uncertain about something that to me felt really important and it made me worried to not have the information I needed. Okay, so you've just done frustrated, uncertain, and worried are now on the table. They are now in the vocabulary of family life. And so any opportunity you have, especially if you're talking about yourself, again, the kid is out of the hot seat, any opportunity you have to continue to bring nuance to the naming of the weather systems Mm. that we all carry around Hmm. inside of us, Hmm. you are modeling it, you are teaching the language, you are giving good examples of, I felt this, we call it that, I felt this, we call it that, that's what we want for our kids is a sophisticated language to describe their inner worlds. 
Wow. I got to say, one of the things you've transformed for my own parenting is the power in apologizing when you've got it wrong. I've gotten so many points with my kids by doing that. And, and I think before you and this podcast, I had a very Bathist sort of Saddam Hussein iron fist way of ruling. <laughs> like it's me and that's it. And there's such value. I, I've really noticed and saying, you know what? I screwed that one up and I want to apologize for my behavior. Well, it's it's interesting because there's a huge amount that gets accomplished in that. And and the reason parents don't do this, and I understand, is they feel that it's going to undermine their authority. Yes. Right? Yes. That, that, that they're going to lose some of that iron fist. Here's the deal. Kids, and certainly by adolescents, they already know you screwed up. And so if you don't own it, that's how you undermine your authority. You mm-hmm. actually maintain your authority by being like, you know what, that, I was out of line. Here, wow. I am not. So it's necessary to maintain authority, actually, to name it when you have blown it. Wow. That's um, good. And then the other thing, Rena, I will tell you, you know, one of our, the number one worries we hear about are parents worrying about what's going to become of their relationship with their kid when their kid becomes a teenager. Yes. The number one way I see parents blow it is they won't own their shortcomings and mistakes because what teenagers do, they are pros at pointing out our shortcomings and mistakes, and they're usually right. And the most painful transactions I have watched between parent and teenager is when the kid is pointing it out and the parent can't tolerate it. That's how you really have a hard relationship with a teenager. Wow. That is so good. Wow. So many little gems today, Lisa. So many gems. But before you go, one more gem. What's your parenting to go? My parenting to go is that we are not afraid of feelings. We are not here to prevent painful feelings. We are not here to banish painful feelings if they show up. We are here to support regulation, help kids express feelings, help kids contain feelings, help them to manage feelings. That is as good as it gets, and there is a lot we can do to help that happen. That's great. And Lisa, we've got some incredible things to tell our audience about. You are going to be with Dr. Fauci and the New York Times on September 9th, Thursday at 1 p.m., talking about kids and COVID. It's true. Um, We're doing an event at the Times. The event will be Dr. Anthony Fauci answering questions about kids and COVID. And then um, Apoorva Mandavilli, who's a science reporter, and I will have a moderated conversation that will be moderated by Andrew Ross Sorkin, who is also another journalist at the Times, again, answering questions about kids and COVID. So subscribers to the Times can sign up for this. We'll put the link to it in the show notes. And it's 1 p.m. Eastern on Thursday, September 9th. So I hope to see you there. I look forward to it. I will absolutely be there. And I also wanted to say I've launched a new daily news podcast Monday through Thursday. It's called the Recount Daily Pod. And the first thing they said to me when I joined was, can we get Dr. Lisa on the podcast? So we got you on the podcast. You're talking about stress and trauma. So I've got that in the show notes. You can subscribe and hear all about your conversation on stress and trauma as well. And Rena, I love that conversation. I love the Recount podcast. I, I do feel like you're cheating on me, but oh, you know no. it's good. It's worth it. You do such <laughs> gorgeous work over there. Um, and I loved our conversation because I think there's so much to say about stress and trauma 
in the lives of adults. And, um, you know, what we talked about also applies in many ways to kids and teenagers, but we really got to do a deep dive into stress and trauma and how it operates and what we know about it. And I just, I really um, valued that conversation so much. You're so great with mental health. I just, on so many levels, it's always been the best compliment is when people say they don't have kids and they listen to our podcast. And by the way, Next week, um, our next episode, we'll talk about kids and drinking and how to approach that conversation. I'll see you next week. I'll see you next week. Can't wait. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask Lisa podcast so you get the episodes just as soon as they drop. And send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. And now a word from our lawyers. The advice provided on this podcast does not constitute or serve as a substitute for professional psychological treatment, therapy, or other types of professional advice or intervention. If you have concerns about your child's well-being, consult a physician or mental health professional. If you're looking for additional resources, check out Lisa's website at drlisademore.com. We'll see you next week. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.